Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. When is it just a little back and neck pain and when does it require surgery? Well, Dr. Matthew Chang from Kaiser Permanente is in the studio. He has taken time out of his Memorial Day holiday to share with us which types of medical conditions are best treated with what we call conservative treatment, physical therapy, exercise, etc., and which ones are best treated by surgery. Because even in the best of cases, surgery can't fix all of the problems of the spine. Now, if you've ever had chronic neck or back pain, you might just learn something that could help yourself. And as always, you can join our conversation today at 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. Dr. Matt, thanks for coming back. We had you here before the end of last year. Right, to talk about DBS. We were talking about deep brain stimulation then. So we're going to move a little further down the neurological pathway. So down from the brain to the neck and then to the back. And, you know, it's kind of one of those myths out there that neurosurgeons only do brain surgery, which is pretty amazing in and of itself, by the way. But that's not all you do. Nope, nope. That's probably the greatest myth about neurosurgery is that all neurosurgeons do is brain surgery. In fact, probably more than half of what most neurosurgeons do is spine surgery. So let's go from the top down to the bottom. So let's talk about the neck, for example. You know, a lot of, particularly here in the islands, there's there's certain beaches that are known for neck injuries, neck trauma. I know years ago when I was doing some urgent care hours out in uh, Hawaii Kai, Sandy Beach, you'd come in and, you know, you'd have these people come in and they'd injure their neck and you'd put them in neck collars and lots of different traumatic things that can happen to the neck. Is that something that is easy to fix, difficult to fix? Once you break your neck bones, are you in deep kimchi after that? Well, it all depends on whether or not you injure your neurologic system. So if you break your neck and you have no spinal cord injury and and you have no paralysis or numbness or tingling or any of those things, if you haven't had a neurologic injury, typically that's going to end up being a fixable problem. Fixable by? By either surgery or by immobilization uh, in a collar or a halo or something like that. Um, when we injure our neurologic system, if it's a complete injury, in other words, the patient is completely paralyzed, uh, that's very rarely a recoverable uh, situation. If it's a partial injury where a patient only has some weakness, a lot of those things will get better with time. So there's some hope. There is some hope if it's if uh, a patient is not completely out. Yeah. So let's talk about what someone should do. Should you be at the beach? Should you be hanging out with your friends? And somebody has an injury of their neck. How important is it to not move someone's neck when you're trying to help them? Extremely important. Uh, When a person injures their neck, whether it be at the beach or at home or or wherever, falling off a bicycle, uh, you want to immobilize that neck so that if there is some instability, you don't do any any damage or further damage to the spinal cord if, if, uh, if it's not injured already. That's why lifeguards, they'll have first aid, they'll have their backboard, they'll have collars, they'll put people in it. You just don't mess around with that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why you see when you see the first responders come, they are going to put every patient on a backboard and put a collar around their neck. And most of the time they do that even if they, uh, even if they don't suspect a spinal injury just to make sure they, they get transported to the hospital on that board so they don't potentially worsen anything that could be there. Sure. A lot of times in medicine we have these mnemonics. You know, medical school, it's like assess airway, breathing, circulation. For first responders, it's immobilize, immobilize, well, immobilize, and airway, breathing, circulation. Yeah, but Of course, everything first, airway, breathing, circulation. Sure. And then they add this other component. And they add, adding on- Protection. You know, protection against further injury. Yeah. 
What are some of the other things that can happen in the neck? So when we evaluate a patient with neck pain, the first thing we want to do is is eliminate emergencies or things that are, are very bad. The first thing, of course, is trauma. And that's we talked about that. And there's usually you can interview a patient, you know, if they've had a trauma to their neck. Uh, but the other types of things that would be really bad in potential emergencies would be if a patient has an infection in their neck, whether it be a discitis or what we call an epidural abscess, but some sort of infection that has occurred. Um, and there's risk factors for that. So we can ask a patient, you know, have you had any fevers? Uh, are they showing any other outward signs of infection? Uh, or the, do they have any risk factors for getting an infection like HIV or AIDS or diabetes? Um, patients that are on dialysis have increased risk for getting infections. So that would be an emergency condition that we'd want to know about very early as well. And then the third is probably uh, a tumor of any kind in the neck where uh, – it's, and those tumors are usually metastatic. They've spread from some other cancer in the body and gone to the bones and the, uh, to the spine, and they can be compressing the spinal cord and causing a patient to be potentially paralyzed. Uh, so those are sort of the emergency situations. And after we sort of uh, talk to a patient and, determine, and examine a patient and determine, okay, this is no longer what we think is going to be an emergency situation, then we turn to sort of degenerative diseases of the spine, the arthritic-type uh, diseases of the spine, which are... We, we evaluate more uh, later, and our, our, those are sort of the chronic neck pain and, and more chronic problems of the spine that we, that we uh, can treat both medically and surgically. That word degenerative, it's just such a nice word. You know, it just makes me feel older as I say it. And degenerative arthritis are somewhat synonymous, wear and tear on your spine. So if you're doing a lot of activity when you're younger, if you've had a history of multiple neck injuries, you're more likely to have arthritis and degeneration of the bones around your neck than if you've never had a neck injury. So one of the reasons why people should really try hard to protect their body when they're doing any athletics or sports so that they don't have these sequelae. So a lot of times when we talk about degeneration and arthritis, we might be talking about an older population or a younger population who have a history of injuries. When we think about some of the degenerative changes that can happen in the spine, so thinking of the actual bones of the spine, what are the most common types of arthritic changes that would cause some effect on the spinal cord that would lead you to need to do something more surgical than medical? So the two th when I see a patient, I'm looking, does this, do, I'm looking at the surgical potential problems. And the two major surgical problems in the neck would be either a cervical radiculitis, which is a pinched nerve in your neck uh, at one of the various levels, and it's usually either left or right side. Um, and the second problem is what's called cervical myelopathy, where there's narrowing of the entire spinal canal and the spinal cord itself is being pinched. And those two diseases of the cervical spine are, are the more surgical diseases. Now, sometimes uh, if you have a herniated disc in your neck, it'll pinch one particular nerve and uh, that'll cause pain that shoots down your arm. And, and that potentially is a surgical problem, but also could potentially go away on its own over time. Um, but not all of them go away. And when we have persistent pain shooting down the arm from a herniated disc in the neck uh, over, a, over a period of time, uh, then, it, then it can potentially be treated with surgery, and our surgery success rate is very good. So let's talk a little bit about the radiculopathy or the, or the pinch nerve. Then we'll talk about the myelopathy or the muscle weakness. And then we'll talk specifically about herniated disc. So when we talk about radiculopathy, that nerve condition, what is it that's pinching on the nerve? So typically, it's a, it's a herniated disc in the neck. But so the disc is one of the forms of 
radiculopathy is that it's causing that nerve pain. Could bones also do that? Absolutely. So sometimes the disc will get uh, sort of overgrown and, and form what's called a disc osteophyte complex. And what's that? It's like a bone spur. Um, of your disc. Just, uh, yeah. just when you thought, you know, it couldn't get any worse, you can get bone spurs on your discs. Thanks. And that can potentially pinch on one of the nerves. Okay. And also the facet joint itself, which is sort of the back part of the neck, that can get overgrown and, and narrow the what we call a foramen or the hole through which the nerve leaves the spine. And uh, that can cause a pinched nerve in your neck. And these, these pinched nerves, they follow specific uh, distributions in the arm based on which disc is, is, is uh, pinching the nerve. So if you have, a, let's say, a C5-6 disc, uh, it'll usually pinch, the, uh, pinch a nerve that sends pain right down your arm and into your thumb. And so uh, if you have a C, let's, let's say C6-7 disc, it'll cause a pinched nerve that sends pain down into your index and middle finger. And uh, we're able to sort of determine which nerve is pinched and, uh, by examination and by, uh, by talking to the patient. And then if that matches up with a finding on the MRI that that nerve is pinched, then we're able to say, oh, yeah, we can, we can operate on this and we have a high probability of relieving your pain. Well, because that's one of the key features is MRIs are wonderful, wonderful radiology examinations that have really perfected in the last few years, gotten better and better, and they can really show a lot of detail. But not everything on an MRI is symptomatic. Absolutely. That's probably one of the greatest things. I see a lot of patients come in and they hand me their MRI report and they say, oh my gosh, this is, there are so many abnormalities on here. It's a disaster. But the key is not like how many abnormalities are on there. Because if you take, you know, 100 people off the street, I'm sure 80 of them are going to have some sort of abnormality on there. And probably half of them will have multiple abnormalities on there. But the abnormality that we see has to correlate with the symptoms that the patient uh, uh, has. Sure, because if you have a bunch of weird stuff on your scan, but you have no symptoms, then you go in there and fix the weird stuff. You never had symptoms to begin with. Now you might have symptoms from having had a surgery. Now there's a whole bigger problem that you never realized that we were we were causing. So, you know, that's one of those interesting things about MRIs is that they're so good at detecting stuff, sometimes too much. Right. So, you know, often in, in, in your particular field, neurology, neurosurgery in particular, you could probably tell me what's on someone's MRI based on their exam. And if that exam and that MRI match, then you could potentially correct it. Not all the time, but often enough that you would be able to give us that information. Plus, I think the other thing curious is that there are docs who specifically look just at brain and spine MRIs. And then there's also the way that you would look at them yourself. Having seen the anatomy physically in the operating room, you may have a different way to look at that MRI because you've got this model in your head after seven years of training that you could you could really look at the MRI and reconstruct it almost 3D in your head. Yeah, that and I have the advantage over a radiologist who reads the MRI of having seen the patient. Very true. Because a lot of times I'll know, oh, this guy has pain going down his right arm into his thumb. I think it's a right C6 radiculopathy. Uh, and then the disc that should be pressing on the nerve is C5-6. So I'll pay very special attention to that disc when I'm looking at the MRI, whereas a radiologist doesn't have that information in the same way. Sure. Yeah. They don't have that opportunity. Absolutely. So, so that would be something pinching on the nerve. If a disc, for example, pinches on the nerve, does the disc ever go back? If it's been displaced, does it ever go back into place? 
it's not that it goes back in, but discs can resolve themselves and they get reabsorbed in your body. You know, when a fragment comes out of the disc space, it can get resorbed by your body the same way, say, a bruise gets resorbed under your skin. Your own immune system sort of attacks, attacks that tissue that's there and then gradually uh, eats it away. And how long would that take? Like, how long would somebody have, let's just say, a, a disc causing a pinch of a nerve? And it's causing them a lot of symptoms, but maybe it's not severe enough to need a surgery or maybe the location wouldn't match with a surgical approach. Would that take up to six months even? I it's not an overnight. I tell people if you're not better at all in six to 12 weeks, then uh, that's when we start thinking about pursuing uh, surgical intervention. However, if a patient has weakness or if they're just in absolute agony for several weeks, uh, we can sometimes consider uh, surgery earlier. Yeah. So you shouldn't let it go for years. Um, I mean, some people do. Some people are willing to put up with pain, you know uh, that type of pain for a long time and really try and avoid the surgery. But uh, generally speaking, uh, if it's been you know six to twelve weeks and you're really you're still suffering troubles. with pain down your arm, uh, typically people are at that point are saying, you know what, I'm I'm really considering this. So pain would be one reason. Persistent pain with with. Symptoms bad enough and corresponding to something on an MRI that would suggest that you would potentially be a candidate for surgery. Where does physical therapy come into that? So physical therapy can help in the relief of symptoms uh, with herniated discs in the neck or with arthritic disease of the neck, and uh, it can be quite helpful. So it really takes a role. It's not like surgery is going to be instead of physical therapy. It's going to be in conjunction with Correct. And so, and sometimes we'll do physical, let's say someone has a herniated disc and they're, and they're not like, they have pain shooting down their arm. It matches the distribution of the MRI and they're, but they're saying, you know what, I want to try and do this without having surgery. We'll send them for some physical therapy. Maybe they'll get some things like traction and, and uh, those kind of things. And they will get better over time. I, and I tell people, if you have a herniated disc with a pinched nerve and pain down the arm, I, probably the, the rate of resolution without surgery is around 60%. So you got a pretty good chance. It's probably better than average. Where do steroid shots come into that? So steroid shots don't get rid of the disc, but like I said, when the disc comes out, then your your immune system eats it up, and that causes inflammation, which irritates the nerve. And I think steroid injections uh, can help relieve that inflammation and decrease nerve irritation and decrease pain. Would there ever be a situation where you'd have so many steroid injections you couldn't do surgery? Uh, not that you couldn't do surgery, no. But they try not to do too many steroid injections. Because yeah. there's other risks. Right. Literally, anytime you invade the body and you go into a space near a nerve, there's always a risk of infection. There's a risk of complications. You just, there's no guarantee in medicine. Right. Just no, like there isn't in life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those risks aren't high, but they are there. Right. Absolutely. Now, the muscle issue, myelopathy is what we technically call it. If you have some sort of a problem where your spinal cord is getting pinched such that you're not able to have the same strength in your upper body, that's another more potentially degenerative kind of condition that would occur in the spine. Is that one of those signs that this needs to be taken care of in a more serious fashion? So, yeah, well, the one thing we talked about, a radiculopathy, which is a pinched nerve. nerve. If if the actual spinal canal is narrowed, then it pinches the spinal cord, and that's referred to as myelopathy. And that causes a different set of symptoms. It's usually less in the way of pain, but it causes numbness in the arms and numbness in the legs. It can cause difficulty walking. 
it causes uh, early on some fine motor abnormalities in the fingers. Like people say, oh, I'm, I'm really just struggling to button my buttons or I'm struggling to zip my zipper or my handwriting seems to have changed. And I, or um, whenever I walk, I just feel off balance or stiff. Uh, and sometimes uh, the hands will be very stiff and difficult to move. Or uh, they get spasms in their arms and legs. So uh, that's, that's something called myelopathy. And we can determine on examination with elevated reflexes. Uh, when we tap on the knee, they kick us out of the room almost. And, and that's a sign of myelopathy, which is different than radiculopathy in that uh, myelopathy oftentimes can be progressive. Uh, whereas radiculopathy, you know, will typically, about 60% of the time, will improve on its own. And so we're more apt to recommend surgery for myelopathy when we see a pinched spinal cord uh, early on than we would than we would if we if we just have a pinched nerve. Because once you lose that function of the muscle, does it come back? So sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't, and that's uh, and and myelopathy tends to improve a little less than radiculopathy uh, does, or, or I should say, a pinched spinal cord tends to improve less than a pinched nerve does. And so uh, getting to it early and decompressing it and making sure they don't get worse and wor- or too bad uh, in terms of function is very important. All right. We are learning all about the spine today. We've started at the top at the cervical spine. And when we come back, we're going to move towards the middle and then eventually get towards the lower lumbar spine. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Matthew Chang. He's from Kaiser Permanente and he has graciously come on our show today on a holiday to help teach us about what are some of the conditions we need to be concerned about with our back and what are some things we can do to really try and keep our spines as healthy as possible. There's only so much that surgery can do and it can't fix all of the things that we do to our back and our neck on a regular basis. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about this. Now, as always, our show is your show. And if you have a history of spinal problems or you have some concerns and might have been told that you were supposed to have surgery and are a little reluctant, hey, this is time to ask an expert. You can join us and we might just be able to help you. You can give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Me and Rafa didn't talk much about the Puerto Rican woman. The affair was like a hole in the living room floor, one we'd gotten so used to circumnavigating that we sometimes forgot it was there. Family Secrets. This week on Selected Shorts. From PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., right after Travel with Rick Steves. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 here on HBR2. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you then. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Matthew Chang. He's from Kaiser Permanente, and he is a neurosurgeon, and no, not 
just a brain surgeon. He does more than that. More than half of what he does includes the spine. And today we're talking about different medical problems that can occur in the spine. So we've talked a little bit about the cervical spine is what we call it medically, but that's just your neck area and what sort of symptoms people might have if they have nerve issues or muscle issues and which one of those should be taken to the operating room and which one maybe does not need to be. We're going to move a little bit further down to the thoracic back. So this starts maybe a little bit uh, a little bit lower than your shoulder blade area, kind of goes towards your mid-back region. And this is an area where a lot of people don't necessarily have problems as often as their neck or their back, but there's some unique things about the thoracic spine as well. What are some of the common things that you see in people who have troubles in that middle part of their back and how did they how did it get there? So uh, problems are degenerative disease of the thoracic spine where there's a herniated disc or uh, compression of the spinal cord or nerve roots are much less common. And uh, uh, if you get a pinched nerve in your thoracic spine, it usually presents as a radiating pain around the front of your body. Uh, kind of like shingles would. It is. And that's a very common uh, uh, thing that we see a patient that comes in and has that radiating pain and it ends up being shingles and not a herniated disc or well, something like yay that. yay for that. Yeah, yeah, which is, I mean... I much guess, easier to treat much than doing a surgery. Treat with just some anti antivirals, but uh, so yeah, pinched nerve in the, in the thoracic spine sends pain around the front, uh, and then the pinched spinal cord is very similar to a pinched spinal cord in the neck, except it excludes the arms because the ar- all the nerves that have gone to your arms are already exited in your neck, and so uh, it would only affect the legs. So numbness and tingling in your legs, difficulty walking, elevated reflexes, just in the lower extremities. So same kind of situation, except for not so much arms, we're talking legs. And if your legs give out unexpectedly, that's not a good sign. Are there any other obvious signs of concern for the thoracic or that mid-back area? Uh, we we also see in the lower thoracic area, in, especially in older people, we see an increased incidence of uh, what we call osteoporotic fractures. And, compression uh, fractures. Compression fractures, which are a very common problem. Uh, and those types of things can be from very little trauma at all. You know, we talk about the danger signs. So did the patient have trauma? Is there a risk of infection? Or is there a tumor? Uh, but you can get a fracture uh, uh, in an osteoporotic patient and an elderly patient with oftentimes minimal uh, trauma at all. I had one woman who was trying to open a window that had been painted shut. And as she was pulling up really hard on that window, felt a crack in her, th- in, uh, in her back and had a thoracic compression fracture. And those sorts of things I tell people, it's kind of like if you were to look at two levels of a parking garage, you have some struts that keep the roof from falling onto onto the floor. And if those struts give out, then the roof falls on the floor. That's the equivalent of a compression fracture. It literally just compresses down. It's like squashing a sponge. It sort of, yeah, uh, compresses that vertebrae and the vertebrae loses height. And that causes a lot of discomfort. It can, yeah, definitely can cause a great deal of discomfort. Does that heal by itself kind of like some of the herniated discs do? I would say the majority of the time, the large majority of the time, we manage that just with some bracing and some temporary pain medication, and it will heal on its own. Because it's you're very limited as far as what you can do. I know a couple of years ago there was a lot of um, talk of doing injections to build up that bone to make mm-hmm. it back to where it was. Injections of various things, whether it be um, polymers or cement, cement-like things that would sort of help to stabilize the spine. Is that being done as much now? It's still done, uh, and I think it's still done relatively uh, frequently, and uh, is definitely an option in the treatment of them. Uh, if you catch them early. Yeah, it's usually done uh, 
within the probably the first four weeks or so. And if a patient is just miserable and suffering and can't get over the pain of, of the fracture, uh, we can use that as an option to try and help improve that pain. But if you've had these compression events and they've been there for years, really, there's not a role to build up that bone. It might actually cause more pain. So if a patient has a compression fracture that's old uh, and it's been there for, let's say, two years now, uh, typically that would not be an indication for any type of surgical procedure. And a lot of times we can evaluate whether a fracture is old or new with either a, an MRI with very specific sequencing to look at whether or not there's inflammation in the bone. Uh, and, and that would indicate that it's a new fracture or a bone scan can sometimes indicate that it's a new fracture versus an old fracture. It's kind of important in the management too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But in addition, don't get more of those. So that's the time when you see your regular doc, they've got to talk with you about some of the ways to build up your bone strength. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are some, there are some new medications that they, they keep reinventing different ways to help build up the bones because, you know, everybody's getting older and these events don't require a lot of trauma. The more this happens, the more we realize we have to find a way to avert this. It's the same condition that can cause hip fractures. And we know hip fractures when you're older can cause some serious problems. Even if they're repaired, your ability to walk independently again is, is potentially limited significantly. So lots of reasons to build up your spine. Let's move a little bit further down towards the back, the lower back. Lots of people, quote, throw their back out at times, and it worries them. They don't know if they're going to be able to recover. What would be the classic story of someone who has purely muscular back pain as opposed to anything to do with their neurologic system? Sure. I, uh, a classic story would be, let's say, uh, about a 35, 40-year-old guy is, is uh, trying to put a trailer hitch on his truck and uh, can't get it positioned quite right and says, you know what, I'm just going to lift up on this thing and move it over and, and, and get that, get that uh, trailer hitch put on there. And he lifts up on the trailer as hard as he can and all of a sudden feels intense pain in his back. And then his back is just spasming and, and terribly painful for, for uh, it can be days and days, if not weeks, uh, of, of discomfort. And that's usually a muscular injury where the pain is localized to the back. It's on either side of the spine in those uh, what we call paraspinal muscles. Uh, and uh, I, I, I see those type of injuries all the time. And uh, the difference between that and a herniated disc would be when you get that herniated disc, the pain's going to be firing down your leg and less so in, in, the, in the center of your back or on either side of the, uh, of the spine. I hear about some of the common ways that people can injure their spine and some, I mean, actually not injure their spine, just spasm those muscles. And sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot. It's twisting the wrong way. You know, there's a couple of classics. It's vacuuming, literally pushing against a force. If your vacuum is some of the older ones, maybe not the newer ones that are lightweight, but if you're pushing constantly, you might irritate and pull out those back muscles. If you bend and twist and lift something up that's away from you, like laundry basket or something heavy in a box or some kind of heavy object, if you're not pulling it closer to you and you're lifting it and twisting, you're doing it the wrong way. And for a lot of people who take care of their elderly loved ones, it's trying to lift up grandma or grandpa. We see that frequently, yes. I bet. Because, you know, we have these multi-generational families. People are trying to do the best they can to take care of their loved ones. So they lift somebody up or they try and help get them out of a chair or get them out of bed, and boom, there goes their back. What should somebody do when they have classic muscle-related pain and problems? I mean, is this just time, anti-inflammatory medicines? 
Do you like heat? Do you like ice? Does it matter? I think after the right after the injury, you know, you need to rest it. Although the classic rice, rest ice, you know, can't really do compression elevation on the back, but rest it, ice it, and, and at the acute injury, and maybe take some anti-inflammatories, uh, and and try and get it to settle down. What's what what people don't realize is back injuries uh, and and those kind muscular back injuries take an amazingly long time to get better. Uh, on average, eight weeks. So uh, it's a uh, and it can be you can be miserable for a uh, for a several week uh, period after a back injury, uh, and and in those particular cases, if it's not going down the leg, uh, uh, it it usually is something that will get better on its own. So be patient. Right. It's hard to be patient when you can't sit down on the toilet and get up. Right. But try and be patient if at all possible. It, with that kind of a scenario. Once somebody does that to their back, are they destined to have a weakness in that area and potentially do it again if they're not careful? I don't think not necessarily, uh, but that's good news. Yeah, okay. but if you're doing things that you aren't, you haven't prepared yourself for. Uh, for example, you know, uh, going out and doing a certain exercise that you haven't done in 20 years and not and not <laughs> and training. You forget and, that yeah. you're not that young anymore. And, and yeah. not training at all to do it. And I and I actually see this in a lot of guys that, you know, work really hard and they're and they're and they're doing construction work or doing something else. And as you get older, you sort of need to train to do that to even do the work. You have to go and, and exercise, maybe, you know, strengthen your core muscles in order to keep being able to do and function at that level of work. Whereas when you were a kid, it was just go do it and I'm good to go, you know? Not realizing. Yeah. Time marches on. Yeah, yeah. Now, with those sorts of muscle types of problems, you know, initially years ago, we used to tell people bed rest. And then we realized that was the worst possible thing because if you lay down the whole time, those muscles are just degenerating. They're not actually getting stronger. You need to stretch. You need to move. Physical therapy plays a huge role here. That's probably, I mean, physical therapy's biggest role is in muscular injuries of the, of the low back and neck, um, more so than even the herniated discs and those kind of things. That's really where a lot of times you can get significant relief. And if you can not only work on treating the acute injury, but then figure out how to strengthen those back muscles, you are more likely to avoid having a similar problem again the stronger your back is, meaning specifically your whole core. So we're talking about abdominal muscles. We're talking about your back. Keeping all of that as strong as possible will potentially prevent your next your next time when you lift up something heavy that you shouldn't or grandma falls down and you wind up having a problem. So really a lot of role for strengthening of your back. Now, when would you need to consider surgical options for your back? So we've we've kind of talked a little bit about the musculoskeletal. I pulled my muscles. You said, boy, if you herniate that disc, you feel it. It goes down the back of your legs. When is that surgical versus when is that give it some time and let that disc maybe get reabsorbed by your body and try and resolve that in a non-surgical fashion? So much like the neck and the back, uh, you, have, you can get either a pinched nerve or you can get the whole spinal canal narrowed. When you have a pinched nerve, you'll typically have pain shooting down your leg and it'll correlate to which, similar to the neck, it correlates to which disc is herniated. One of them might be your big toe. The other one might be your ankle. The other one might be so different exactly, areas. Exactly. Like an L5 disc would send t pain to the big toe, whereas an L3 disc would send pain to your anterior thigh and knee. And it might stop there. And it would stop at your knee. And so uh, each disc is different in where it sends the pain. But uh, much like your neck, if we see a pain distribution, then we see a herniated disc relative to that pain. Uh, 
that can potentially be a surgical a thing that we can go in and operate on it, and our success rate is probably 90% or better for, for ridding you of that pain. When would be the reason to hold off and do conservative treatment? So in patients that have just arthritic disease of the spine and back pain but no leg pain, uh, are, the surgical results are not very good. And in fact, sometimes not even as good as physical therapy. So uh, uh, I would say in those particular cases, we don't recommend surgery of the spine. So even if people are having trouble, if the underlying etiology has a lot of arthritis or some of their corresponding features, not all herniated discs need surgery. Correct. Not all of them would respond to surgery. And some people are just not good candidates for it. Correct. Now, there's this issue with smoking. Smoking and people doing spine surgery. There's something about some of the chemicals that are in cigarettes that delay the healing and dramatically increase the rates of failure of your of your back surgery. So smokers, you wouldn't you highly encourage them to stop smoking prior to doing surgery. So sometimes with uh, fusion surgery in in the spine, uh, well, I shouldn't say sometimes, all, all patients with fusion surgery in the spine, we recommend stopping smoking before that because when if we do a procedure on the spine that destabilizes it and then we need to fuse it at level, put some screws in and, and, and rods and put bone graft in there and get that, those two vertebrae to, go to grow together, uh, definitely smoking inhibits that fusion rate. It's well studied and, and, and proven. So in those particular cases, f- fusion patients, we want, to, we want to have them stop smoking before their surgery. I mean, we want everyone to Everybody. stop smoking, period. Uh, but in particular, you're not just a meanie. There's actually studies that have proven that you're not going to have results that are positive if you go to do a lumbar fusion surgery and someone's a smoker. Sure. Don't, don't lie and say you're not a smoker and or try and hide the fact that you're you know sneaking cigarettes your back depends on it Correct. literally all right we've got a caller on the line we have sachi calling in from kona sachi welcome to the body show hi there i'm gonna oh i better turn the radio off um i i'm turning seven all of this year and um i have an s curve pretty severe s curve in my spine and I've been going to chiropractors my whole life, and um, I kind of went down the stairs on my butt um, a couple of weeks ago. And I had the chiropractor come over and adjust my back. And it wasn't very good for about five or six days, and it started getting better. But here's the thing. I have my grandmother's fingers, which are kind of gnarled up with rheumatoid arthritis. And my shoulders are constantly hurting, like there's ground glass in there. And there just seems to be nothing I can do in the way of therapy that stops it. And is there any, I mean, it just feels like ground glass. I don't know any other way to explain it. My fingers are kind of the same way. Um, Well, go ahead. What do you do about it? I mean, is there anything that could be done to stop it from hurting all the time in the shoulders and the hands? You know, that's that's a really good question. And I think part of the trouble is that we've talked a little bit about pre-existing conditions. And rheumatoid arthritis is a truly destructive arthritic condition of your joints, particularly hands, but can also be of your spine. And when you have this particular condition... There's not so much things that we can do or a neurosurgeon can do to reverse it because it really has more to do with your immune system and your body attacking different areas itself. 
And so as opposed to doing a surgical cure, these are often the types of situations where people take some of the newer medications. So if you do have rheumatoid arthritis, there are some wonderful new medications that are based on antibodies and they can really help to block some of the inflammation in your body and try and stabilize the rheumatoid arthritis. But, you know, Dr. Chang, to my knowledge, once you have bad spinal changes of of rheumatoid arthritis or RA, you're very limited in what you can do because the spine is so affected already. Any type of surgical correction you try to do, you're trying to actually do surgery around a weakened spine. Yeah, and when we operate on anyone with rheumatoid arthritis, our our goal is to decompress neurologic structures. So if you get a pinched nerve or a pinched spinal cord, um, we see things actually in the cervical spine very high up called a, a panis of the odontoid process. And, and, and uh, those type of things can compress the spinal cord. And we do operate on rheumatoid arthritis patients, but it's usually we, we really try and uh, focus on if someone has neurologic compromise rather than just Pain, chronic pain, chronic pain it. related right. to the arthritis, and and actually in the joints themselves. When you have pain in the joints themselves or that ground glass feeling, that's when we say we we should probably have you see a rheumatologist. Yeah, sure. There's some great medications out there, and sometimes people just need to also see a pain management specialist to sure. really help figure out what medication works best to help control enough of their symptoms that they can live their life and go about their daily activities as best as possible. You know, there often is no way for us to completely resolve pain. That is often unrealistic to make pain go away completely, but to make it livable, to allow you to have some tools to help you function is often the best we can do. And surgery may be indicated if you have neurologic symptoms, but if it's the arthritic pain, some of the newer medications might really be helpful. So if you don't have a rheumatologist and you do have rheumatoid arthritis, that's a really good connection to make because there's some great things, that some newer medicines that are out there that really can be helpful in this situation. Mm-hmm. So I do wish you luck, Sachi, because RA is not an easy condition to have. And if you're if you're getting up there in age and you still are making it around, moving around and doing stuff, that's that's incredible. Let's see what we can do to help you to keep that process going. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Matthew Chang from Kaiser Permanente. He's given up his Memorial Day to spend with us here live in the studio. We're talking about a very common problem that people have, back pain and neck pain. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the back. What are the roles for surgery, different types of injections, what can be done, and what would be a good way to help protect your back from having these sorts of troubles? Is there ever a role to learn how to lift up something heavy before you do it wrong? Yes, there is. We'll talk about that and more. We'll be back in just a minute. But remember, you can join us today at 941-3689, toll free from neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. If you've got a question about back or neck, this is your time to ask that question and potentially even get an expert answer about it. So feel free to join us. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Decades ago, RCA was known for making the best microphones around. That was then. Now, this man is bringing them back. The patents are all long gone. This is old technology. It's mostly can you do it. You know, no one's going to get after you if you can duplicate a Stradivarius. I'm Kai Rizdal, the art and the business of bringing back classic sounds next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. 
On the next New Letters on the Air, biographer Justin Martin reveals what led him to explore the relatively unknown period of Walt Whitman's life in New York City before the Civil War. I'm always interested in the real person, not the mythical figure that sometimes comes after. Justin Martin reads from his fifth book, Rebel Souls, Walt Whitman and America's First Bohemians on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ulupono Initiative, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Here in the studio with Dr. Matthew Chang from Kaiser Permanente, he is a neurosurgery specialist, and that takes a long time to get to be a neurosurgeon. There's, what, only 200 neurosurgeons that finish training per year in the entire United States. Right around, It might be a little over 200, but right, right around that. Right point. around there. Yeah. That's a very select group of people because you have to do like seven years of training, learn all these different things about the nerves and the and it's not just the brain, although it's a lot of brain surgery. It's also all the surgery on your back and your spine. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stuff that you have to be a master at doing, in addition to the stuff we all think about with aneurysms and all these sorts of things. Well, right before the break, we were talking with Sachi from Kona. She has rheumatoid arthritis. It's a very difficult arthritic condition, and sometimes people do have pre-existing spine issues that make it difficult for surgery to even be helpful or effective. So it kind of puts you in a difficult position to explain to them, your spine just won't take it. And that could be actually one of the most frustrating things, I think, for patients in general, is if you have a arthritic degenerative problem that affects multiple areas of your spine, and you have a lot of back pain, but no compressed nerves, and, and it can be it can be very miserable, and it's a it's an almost an impossible uh, uh, thing to to fix. Um, I always, I tell people a lot of times the spine is not like the back or the knee where we can do a or sorry, I should say the hip or the knee where we can do a hip replacement or a knee replacement. You can't replace the spine. It's it's uh, what you have there is sort of what you're stuck with. We can decompress nerves and we can fuse areas of the spine, uh, but uh, if you have you know just arthritic disease or degenerative disease and you have just back pain or neck pain without that compressive neurologic uh, component, it can be an extremely difficult problem to treat. Sure, because you can't go in there and decompress if it's not compressing. Correct. So then all the relief that somebody might get from decompression, they don't have that symptom. So what can you really do? It's it's somewhat limited. It really right. depends. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We've got Dan calling in from Kaimuki. Dan, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, thank you very much. Um, I was listening earlier to uh, you were talking about cervical uh, spinal issues, and I, I have a issue myself. I, I believe I have, um, well, they did an MRI and it came up that I have congenital stenosis in my spine. Um, and I get, I'm a guitar player and, it, and just lately, I'm, I'm over 50 now, it's gotten a little bit problematic. I've, I get numbness in my fingers. I have numbness across my back and I have a weakness, especially in my left arm. So anyway, they did the MRI and everything. Uh, we did a couple of steroid injections. The second one seemed to help a little bit. But upon uh, consulting with the neurosurgeon just to see if there was any options, you know, he just said that he couldn't really see anything obvious that on the MRI that he could help surgically. And um, to just 
continue with uh, physical therapy, massage, stretching, and whatnot. And I'm just, I'm just uh, at the state of, uh, I mean, what other options are there if, if it just doesn't look like it can be surgically helped? You know? Well, that's a really good question. What possibly could be going on in the spine that would uh, not be surgically amenable to treatment with someone who has congenital stenosis? Let's just congenital cervical stenosis, I assume. We're talking about the arms that so we'd be dealing with the neck. What else could be going on, Dr. Matt, that might explain some of the symptoms that wouldn't necessarily be surgically corrected? So uh, it, a lot of times if you have congenital uh, congenital stenosis, uh, uh, actually a large amount of people have that. If you add to What that is con- that exactly? That means that you were born with a spinal canal that's sort of smaller than other people. It's kind of narrow already. It's narrow at baseline. And okay. uh, actually we've seen, we get- seen neck injuries in football players who have congenital stenosis where they actually bruise their spinal cord because they don't have they don't have the ability for the uh, neck. They don't have a lot of space. Not a lot of space. Okay. So uh, when they get their neck tweaked or something like that, they can actually bruise their spinal cord and get and get injuries. Uh, and in congenital stenosis as well, if you add, you don't have as much room. So if you add on a little bit of maybe a bone spur in a certain area, you can get pinching of the spinal cord, uh, which could be potentially uh, surgical. But uh, the other thing we sometimes worry about in people who play guitar or use their hands a lot and they have numbness in their fingers and maybe weakness in their hand is potentially carpal tunnel syndrome. And uh, that might be a problem totally separate from uh, the spine uh, that could be affecting uh, the hand and, and causing numbness usually in your uh, first, your thumb index and middle finger and maybe half of your ring finger it can cause some weakness in your ability to uh, move certain fingers. So, uh, Potentially, if it's on one side and you're getting numbness and you do use your hands a lot, it could be carpal tunnel syndrome. So, yeah, it's, it's on both sides, just, just letting you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and also, carpal tunnel can occur on both sides. But okay. if, the actual, uh, if the actual spinal cord is compressed and there's maybe signal in the spinal cord on the MRI, uh, it could be coming from your neck as well. It's hard, it's hard to know without actually seeing you and examining you and tapping on your reflexes and looking at your MRI. Uh, but, yeah, it could... Uh, it's it's possible. There's more than one thing that can cause it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, along those lines, thanks thanks for calling in today, Dan. Along those lines, if you have symptoms, <clears throat> it would be carpal tunnel related, and you also have sort of a cervical issue, are there tests that can be done to determine the difference? Like, you know, I know for some people who come in with carpal tunnel, we do this nerve conduction study and we say, hey, your nerve is being compromised and it's right here at the wrist. And we can identify exactly where. Is there a role to do that sort of testing in somebody who has this issue in their spine that, you know, a neurosurgeon has said, I don't see anything amenable to fixing? Can they do other testing to figure out what else is going on? Absolutely. And you uh, hit the, the nail nerve on test. the head. There's a, a nerve conduction study or an EMG can tell us... Uh, uh, whether or not there is slowing in the in the nerve at the wrist, but also it can be a, a symptomatic diagnosis where patients say, you know what, when I when I'm holding my hands on the steering wheel of the car, they go numb, or I wake up at night with numbness in my hands and I got to shake them out, uh, or when I'm doing a certain activity, especially you know guitar playing because that wrist, sure, guitar, uh, violin, anything where yeah, you kind of twist your arm in a funny flexing, position, where yeah. you're flexing your wrist in a in a funny position for a prolonged period, and my fingers go numb while I'm doing that. Uh, that can sometimes be a sign of carpal tunnel syndrome. 
Sure. And we've got, you know, the classic, I type all day at the computer. Yep. These days it's kind of interesting because you see a lot of people who are like, I text a lot. And the way you have to hold your phone yeah. to do that is this weird wrist position. You know, it's almost like technology has helped us, but our body still has yet to evolutionarily adapt. And in know? the old days, it was bricklayer's disease because the Masons uh, used That's their true. hands uh, uh, all uh, the time. extensively and got a lot of carpal tunnel. All the time. You know, we just had a shy caller who wanted to know, what about inversion tables? Because th- could that help any of these symptoms that people have? Interesting. Could could hanging upside down help you? I'm not sure that there's any studies that show that it's absolutely uh, beneficial, but I, I don't think there's any harm in it. I mean, get blood flow to your head. There you <laughs> go. But I mean, n- nothing. It wouldn't necessarily harm you. And if you had symptoms and you felt better, it would work for you. Correct. It may not work for everybody, but it's not going to harm most people. Right. Let's talk a little bit more about stenosis because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the cervical stenosis with our caller, Dan. Stenosis itself means a narrowing or a smaller space. Correct. So it's kind of like I'm trying to think of a good analogy. If you're trying to poke a Twizzler through a straw and the straw is just too tight, you really have a hard time getting it in there. If you were to get it in there, it's kind of hard for it to maneuver around. So that's stenosis. What you're, the Twizzler in this case, and maybe we'll say one of those bigger slurpy straws because they're a little bigger, right? Um, you know, it's, it's actually, it's not very maneuverable. And once you get it in there, it's really hard for that to move around a bit. So what can we do about stenosis? Is there ever any way to like make the spinal canal bigger? So in the lumbar spine, in our low back, stenosis is a lot different than in our cervical spine. If the whole spinal canal is narrowed in the lumbar spine, our spinal cord ends actually right where the thoracic and lumbar spine join. So down in the lumbar spine, if the whole spinal canal is narrowed, it compresses all the nerve roots going to your legs, but not the spinal cord. And that causes a condition that we refer to as neurogenic claudication. And in layman terms, what that means is when you stand up in the vertical position or when you walk, uh, you get nerve pain that shoots down your legs. Uh, it starts in your buttocks and low and and sacral area and Goes shoots all the way down, all the way down your legs. And uh, well, that occurs frequently in the elderly. Um, average age is probably in the seventies. And it, the reason it occurs is because when you stand up and you sort of compress the spine. That causes that narrowing to narrow even further, and it pinches the nerves. And if you sit down or if you were to lean forward, I have a lot of people say, you know what? If I go to the grocery store and lean forward on a cart, I can walk fairly far, and I don't get the pain. But if I try to stand straight up and don't have anything to lean on, I get this terrible pain shooting down my legs after about you know two to five minutes of walking. So should they just always go with a cart? Well, I, that's a that's a condition that we can fix surgically. We can go in and do what's called a laminectomy and uh, and remove some bone or overgrown ligament and overgrown joint uh, to, to widen back up that spinal canal and then relieve those symptoms. And is that mainly because the spinal cord is not involved in that lower area? In the lower area, the spinal cord is not involved so that the you don't get more of the paralysis type symptoms. You get more of the pain symptoms when the nerve roots are involved. So you're more likely to have the pain, which may be amenable to the surgery. Right. When we talk about cervical myelopathy or cervical narrowing, it's more numbness in your arms and legs and loss of function, difficulty walking, loss of hand, your, your, your fine motor movements in your hands aren't as good. But when we talk about lumbar stenosis or stenosis down low where there's no spinal cord, it's more compression of the nerves, pain when walking or standing that gets better when you sit down or 
stretch the spine out leaning forward. And that's why it's more amenable to a surgical correction because you can do something to alleviate some of the pain. Correct. If you have no pain, don't go do surgery just because you have a condition. Correct. Because the surgery doesn't have anything to fix. We can't fix somebody who's not symptomatic, right? If you're, if you're normal, we can't make you super normal. We can't make you better. But if you do, like if you have nerve pain shooting down your legs and, and when you walk or stand and you have spinal stenosis, that surgery is extremely successful. Uh, that will relieve pain in well over 90% of people and make it so that people who once could only walk for, you know, a few blocks before they have to sit down, they could walk as long as they want, you know. So if you have that, you sure, yeah. there's really some, some help out there for That's you. That's a very successful surgery. It's relatively low risk, and, uh, and I think we do a lot of good with that surgery. Good. Nice to know. Because a lot of times it's got to be hard. As a neurosurgeon, you can't fix a lot of people. But when you get those few that you can really work with and help them, that's, that's rewarding. That's why you go into it. Yep. And lumbar spinal stenosis and neurogenic clonification is a very common disease. We, we, uh, we, that's probably the most common surgery uh, that we do. Wow. All right. So if you get those diagnoses, there could be help for you. Okay. We've got Ken on the line from one of our neighbor islands. Ken, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I had a question about a cervical issue um, or neck issue. Um, I've had a long history of it on and off, mostly muscular um, pain a little bit, locked up muscles. Um, I've gone to the chiropractors over the years, and, you know, it gets better. Sometimes I have an issue with it, sometimes not. But along with this, I've had uh, tinnitus, um, and I've had it, you know, in a small amount for a long time, and it's gradually gotten worse. And maybe five years ago I had a big issue in my neck, and I had a chiropractor that really reefed on my head. And since then... It seems, I don't know for sure, but it, it seems that it's gotten, you know, quite a lot worse. And I don't know if it's from that, but I was wondering if there was a connection nerve-wise there to the um, uh, possibility of causing tinnitus. And it's, it, it's a tinnitus, it's, I feel it more in my head than in my ear. It's like a buzzing in my head, in my left side of my head and back of my head. Um, it's very annoying now. Well, and it's a really, yeah, it's a really good question, Ken. And I appreciate you calling in and sharing that you've had this issue because I think it gets to to the concept of cranial nerves and peripheral nerves. And Dr. Matt, you're an expert in nerves, so the difference, the the basic message that I'm that I'm just thinking about is that if you have a peripheral nerve. Um, treatment, whether it be a chiropractic treatment or some type of treatment, that really should not necessarily affect cranial nerves. Cranial nerves, it, it really shouldn't do that much, particularly for auditory nerves and ears. Am I am I so, thinking uh, incorrectly? Yeah, there is not really an association being a, between a problem that's in your neck and tinnitus. Because uh, that's uh, really in your ear. Which would be a, you know, it would be in your ear. Now, the, the there. So any type of pinched nerve or pinched spinal cord or any issue with any type of thing in your neck is not going to cause a ringing in your ears. But what he described was a buzzing in his in his head. And sometimes we can see uh, vascular fistula in the brain that can cause buzzing sensations in the head. Interesting. And those vascular fistula usually cause what's called pulsatile tinnitus or a, a sense of being able to hear your own pulse, like a buzzing. Like a throbbing. Psh, 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 like hmm. that. 
And uh, if you have that type of symptom, uh, it's probably it, it's likely that it's not related to your neck, but you could have a a, a uh, uh, what we call a dural AV fistula in your ear uh, or near your ear in the brain that can cause a pulse pulsing uh, sensation of tinnitus. More importantly, could you fix it? That is potentially a fixable problem. Yeah. So if it got worse, you would. How would you diagnose it? So those are diagnosed with an MRI of the brain or potentially potentially a cerebral angiogram. So there's ways to figure out if you have it, and if you do, that could potentially be treatable. Correct. All right, Ken. I hope you heard that. There may be some relief from the buzzing in your future, but if it wasn't one of these pulsatile. Uh, so if you, there are there is tinnitus that can be tinnitus that is just uh, we don't know what Meniere's what disease it. we yeah. don't know why you have it idiopathic it starts it gets worse progressive over time yeah and it just takes over a lot of what you hear so one of the ways to differentiate it might be to do some of these other studies correct all right we have just a, a couple of minutes left are there things people should do to help their spine before they get injured I, you know I think staying as fit as you can. And uh, talked about that uh, ab muscle, core, all those sorts of things. Core muscle strength. Okay. I really like plank exercises. And uh, nobody likes you for liking that. Yes. The plank. Okay. You know, those plank exercises, front plank, side plank. What I really like about them is that they are exercises that strengthen the core without hyperextending or hyperflexing the spine. It's neutral position exercises that don't put a lot of stress on the spine. And so we're able to strengthen the core without necessarily injuring bones or, you know, or muscles or tendons. Because like if you do a sit-up wrong, you could actually harm yourself because right. you're flexing your spine. If you do it the wrong way, if for whatever reason you're doing something your body's not able to handle, you could cause harm. And you see, you know, I see people on the, in the gym working on like back extension exercises. And I sort of feel like, you know what, we could get the same uh, the muscle plank. strengthening with the plank and not put the spine into extension. Wow. You really love the plank. I do like the plank. If nobody knows what the plank is, you got to look this one up. It's a unique exercise all on its own. And the longer you can hold your body in the plank, the stronger the muscles are. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's not even, it's isometric. You're not adding any weights. Right. You're just using your own body's weight and inability to do the plank to help yourself to do the plank. <laughs> all right. That's your new fave, favorite exercise. Well, it certainly sounds like we've learned a lot about the the spine, starting from you know starting from the neck, going down the thoracic spine, going at down to the lumbar spine, and it sounds like one of the key features is exercise, stretch, keep your core as fit as you can, and if you get injured, pay attention to your body. Absolutely. Be really careful. Know that if you have symptoms, you should get it checked out, and make sure that you're progressing in a direction where you're improving. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to thank you for giving up your Memorial Day. That has been pretty amazing to hear all about neck and spine and your love of the plank. <laughs> thank you. It's the really front fun plank, to be here. The side plank, all different kinds of planks. We will post a little bit of the plank on our Facebook page so you can see it. I should make you do the plank for me, Dr. Chang, but I will not because <laughs> you gave up your Memorial Day and you already are awesome. All right. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Dr. Matthew Chang is a neurosurgeon from Kaiser Permanente. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. I will find you a picture of the plank. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here live on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!